0: Hey there, multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course. Building a solid foundation for non monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So, for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So... I thought it was about time to bring some evidence based and research backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non monogamy. So, if you head over to slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multiamory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because... We really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price.
1: When you just have time to hang out with your friends, how mm-hmm. much do you feel this drive to be like, but what are we doing? Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. just spending time. That's
0: interesting. And I've noticed that's
1: something I've gone back and forth through my life of how much I feel that compulsion to like, but what's the thing we're doing versus, oh yeah, we're just getting together and then we'll you know, see what, you know, we'll do something maybe if we want, but that's not the point. Welcome to the Multiamory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Dedeker.
1: We believe in looking to the future of
2: relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
0: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently. We see you, and we're here for you.
1: On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about work. That's right. We're putting on our hard hats and grabbing our briefcases and our pens and pocket protectors. And we are going to work. Yeah, specifically, we're going to be discussing the many different ways that one's relationship to work can affect their romantic and other interpersonal relationships. And that's whether you have very similar views or very different ones from each other. Also, we're going to be looking at some of the latest research on workaholic behaviors and tendencies. Is that a thing? And we'll also be covering discussions to have with a partner when you're experiencing conflict around work. I know all of us have had some conflict with partners, and even each other, Mm -hmm. around work. So this one is near and dear to our hearts. Yeah,
0: I like the image that you laid out of this combination, Mm. Mm -hmm. blue-collar, white-collar, Worker, which I guess would be what if you've got a pocket protector and a yeah. hard hat, you're what like the architect he has yeah, got to go down um, to the job site.
1: Maybe the foreman have something some discussions. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Oh, that's fine. Like that's fine. That's yeah, fine. Briefcase nice. as well.
2: All these yeah, I guess you tools. could be like the
1: you could be the union uh-huh. rep or something. Maybe mm-hmm. going down to you um,
0: know. Ooh, that's fun. <laughs> we like union reps. Yeah, okay, yeah, why Why are we talking about this? As Jace mentioned, I forget who I was telling this to the other day, but actually I was specifically talking about my relationship with Jace and how I realized, and Mm. you tell me if this is accurate from your perspective in our relationship, Jace, that I I think that most of the quote-unquote, like, bigger fights that you and I have had in the past, let's say, five years or so, and by bigger, I mean, like, he did enough that we need to halt... You know, or both of us cry yeah. or, you know, not like a little squabble, like something that we actually kind of get into more of a tizzy about have mm-hmm. like the recurring theme has yeah. been around work.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would say work, Is that some, accurate? something related to work. Yeah, some aspect. Yeah, I was going to ask,
2: like, what what type of work? Just the fact that you work a lot, that you both work a lot, that Dedekert wants to have more of a work like balance than Jace does, but that, that's
1: hard to do. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there have been accusations thrown around on both oh, sides okay. about working too much or too little, mm. or, well, not really too little, but too much or, <laughs> sure, at, yeah. at inconvenient times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too much or for sure. E- various things like that. I say. Uh Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that got, that got this topic on my mind the other day. And then also, I think that just the realities of living under capitalism is that this is going to mm. affect the majority of us. The majority of us are going to have to deal with how my work life influences my home life, family life, relationship life. You know, unless you're privileged enough that, uh, you know, money is no object and you don't have to work whatsoever, chances are there's going to be something relevant to you in this episode.
1: I would argue, even if you were set and did not need to work for money, that just the way our society values one's work so much and that that's such a central part of our identities. But it even still probably shows up for you, even if you're not working for money specifically in the same way.
2: Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all three of us have called each other and ourselves workaholics, and I, d- I know that we're going to actually get into more what a workaholic is and discuss that, but I think the three of us do kind of work a lot more than most of the people that we know in our lives. And so that has created conflict, I think, within ourselves and then also for others around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it has the potential to do that, at least. And I think that's something that's good to look at because having a better work-life balance is always ideal, I think, but it's not always achievable at times.
1: Well, yeah, let's get into some of the details here. So let's start by looking at some of the ways that work, our relationship to work can affect our other relationships, our interpersonal relationships, I guess I'll say.
0: Yeah, because it's not just about the work life balance. It's not just about you work too much or or I work too much or things like that. Like well, as I sat down to talk about, like to write this episode, I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of different ways that mm-hmm. this can show up in relationships. So the first, and I think maybe the most obvious one is the fact that work is often tied to income to a certain extent again the realities of living under capitalism is we got to work hard for the money you know (laughs) and so I I think that's something that can really affect relationships like I I don't didn't pull any specific research for this but I know offhand that there's definitely been research that shows that you know couples where they both make enough money to live and pay the bills sometimes that correlates with a happier relationship Mm surprise, surprise, you know, when you have more consistent income or more stable income, and it means often maybe you have more consistent access to free time or quality time that can be spent with your partner, with your kids, going on dates, doing projects together, all these things that do tend to support a healthy relationship. What about income disparity, though? Yeah, yeah. So that could be an episode completely unto itself. And I do want to write an episode that's purely just about income disparity because I'm sure there's there's more than enough research out there, more than enough anecdotes that we can talk about. But yeah, I think that's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like anytime we've ever had a guest on the show who deals with money, that's always the question, right? It's like, how the hell do I manage when one person in the relationship makes significantly more money or significantly less money than the other person? How do I manage disclosing that when I'm early on Mm. in a relationship? You know, that's that's very much a key. But I think sometimes even in addition to income disparity, like as in disparity of amount, there can also be disparity in income stability or consistency. 100%. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then also the other factors around that income too, which, you know, we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on, but things about are you working really hard for this money that then also costs you a lot of money to maintain like you have to live in a certain city that's really expensive Mm. in order to do your job or you are self-employed and need to buy a lot of the equipment yourself so it feels like you're making a certain amount but then actually feels a lot less you know there's a lot of other factors that go into it as well do you feel like the amount you're making is a good amount that you deserve or not there's that emotional aspect as well. It's like, maybe I don't make a lot for what I'm doing, but I kind of knew that going in that I wasn't going to make a lot for this. And so I accept that versus I know I could be making more and I feel underpaid can really change your attitude and that sort of emotional impact and pride and the way that we value ourselves based on that as well.
2: I think time is a huge factor as well. When you're working, if you are a person who has a nine to five job. It's very steady income. It's a very steady time slot in which you will be working and you're able to sort of set it down and then pick it back up when that time period is occurring. That's not a luxury that everybody has, Mm -hmm. especially if you work in a service industry type thing or a gig economy type situation where you're not always sure where your next paycheck is going to come from, but you have to be ready for it when it does. And that may mean that you know, sorry, I'm going to be gone for a week or whatever, or I'm going to be working really long days or night shifts or something along those lines. And I think that can really affect partnerships and partners who don't really understand that way of working and are more used Mm -hmm. to, well, I don't understand why you're not around because I'm good to go. I have this steady income and this steady job. So why can't you have the same thing that I have?
0: Yeah, I I know that's definitely something I run into Mm -hmm. in relationships in the sense of, you know, what, like when you're a wage worker or a gig worker or self-employed or you've created your own business where maybe you don't necessarily have PTO or time off or things like that. And a other partner does, or what it is like. Oh, because, okay. So I know my partner are going to plan to go on vacation. So that means I need to pick up a bunch of extra shifts. Heading into that, because of the lost time, you know, which can sometimes be hard to, I think, empathize with for someone who's always been a salaried yeah. worker full-time where that's less of an issue. Yeah, I think time flexibility for sure can show up as a area of difference and possibly conflict in relationships.
1: And this is an area that shows up a lot for Dedeker and myself, as we were mentioning mm-hmm. before, is specifically this, because both of us used to be more contract based, you know, self-employed type of a thing. But then for the last few years, I've been working jobs that are more, more normal hours. They're not specifically a nine to five always, but they're regular hours every day with a certain amount of PTO. And there's also conflict on that other side too of, well, we want to take some time off. Great. I'll book out that time off instead of, oh, well, okay. I'm going to have to see like what, what work's going to be like at that time and if my manager would approve that time off and how much of it do I have. And it's like, there's a whole different way of approaching all sorts of things where maybe there's more flexibility in certain ways, but then less in others in in both circumstances. Uh, I I think another one that shows up there too, is how people react to changes in that. If you're someone who's used to more gig working you might be more used to fluctuations or some dry spells and maybe that's something that you're used to and prepared for versus someone who's used to a steady income but then they you know they get downsized or something and now they're having to look for a job they might not have the emotional resources or even the financial resources to get them through that period versus someone who might be used to that and i've seen that go both ways for for couples as well so it's just yeah and it's hard to relate sometimes where it's like oh one person they lost their job and they're having to look for a new one and they had been at a more normal salaried or or at least regular hourly job and they're really freaking out and stressed out and have a lot of like uh, identity crisis about it and their partner is you know someone who does acting or catering or, some, or mm-hmm. photography or something that's more of a gig type job. And they're like, what's the big deal? It's only been like a month mm-hmm. or two. Why are you freaking out right. so much? And it's just a different way of thinking about the way we work and how we get our value and what's normal and acceptable.
0: Yeah, I remember, gosh, like way early on in my 20s, having a family member of mine who Again, yeah, I was doing the acting thing, you know, which means it's a lot of gigging and a lot of gigging that is not acting, <laughs> right? It's a uh-huh. lot of just like trying to scrape together whatever gigs you can get in order to pay the bills and her always expressing to me, I just, I just, I, I can't even imagine not knowing where your next paycheck is coming mm. from. Like, I can't even imagine that. And yeah, this, this person I mean, has literally in been in like salary jobs. Yeah. Yes, her entire yeah. life, right? And, and not to minimize that by any means, but again, yeah, it is just this different perspective yeah. to come from where you're just like, oh, I'm used to always kind of having to hustle and scrape stuff together whenever I can.
2: Something that I think comes up in a variety of ways is the type of work that one does and how certain jobs are viewed as, well, that's a real job. And certain jobs mm-hmm. are viewed as that's okay. not a real job, or you're just, like, doing that until you find a real job, or if you do that for your entire life, then, yeah, you're not worthy of some prize, bullshit prize of being a real worker in Love. our economy Love. or society. I don't know. I definitely, yeah, I've, I feel like I've heard that from people, some people, and I work a restaurant job. I would like to not eventually, but... But even in the 10 years that I've done that, I've definitely felt shitty sometimes about, well, wow, like, that's all that I'm amounting to in my life and stuff. Um, and that, that's been challenging for sure. I yeah. think also on a flip side of that, people who don't make money for the work that they do, even though they work extremely hard, and I'm talking about things like childcare or elder care, you know, if you're helping an aging parent or something along those lines, And making big sacrifices in those ways, but yet you're not going to work and making a salary, how sometimes that can be really stressful and challenging on a relationship, both for the person who may be going and working and making money and the person who's tired when you come home every day because they've been taking care of the kids or taking care of someone sick in the family or disabled or anything along those lines.
0: Yeah, and that definitely intersects with, I think, often associating, you know, the work that makes more money is the more, quote unquote, real Real, work, right? You know, and so that's how we make decisions about, okay, so yeah, if someone needs to take care of the kids or, yeah, like you said, an aging parent or something like, so whose job goes on the chopping block? right? So whose job is less quote unquote real, right? And it's, you know, it's gonna be the one that where we make less money. That's usually how it tends to be. But it's also gendered.
2: Uh, I read so many articles during the pandemic of like, there was that one very famous article, I think, in the New York Times about a woman who did make more money than her husband. And yet her husband could not take care of the kids, like did not know how to do it. And so she still had to quit her job so that she could take care of the kids Mm -hmm. instead of him, even Mm -hmm. though she was the one Mm -hmm. making more money. Gosh. yikes yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and gosh gosh i would say too that that you know we we often refer to that as invisible work right it's those yeah. things that you do that are vital that that your you know your household or your life would also fall apart without those but that we don't give as much credit to because there's less of a clear distinction of this is now work that's being done um, mm-hmm. usually because it's not getting paid uh And I just want to point out that that shows up in other ways, too. And this is something that has repeatedly shown up for the three of us over all of the years that we've done this podcast about one person. If you start feeling tired or, or overwhelmed, we'll maybe get to that place of like, but look at all these things that I'm doing for our mm-hmm. podcast, yeah, right? 100%. In addition to my job and this thing, and I was sick and my partner's sick, or, you know, whatever it is, all this, like, look at how much more I'm working than you. And often the the comeback from the other two is, but I'm doing this, 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 and this other thing that you're not <laughs> right. even aware of that I just do every week. And that we all kind of have played that back and forth over the years. And it's something yeah. that We've had to be very intentional, I think, and we still do it sometimes. But to try to be very intentional about acknowledging that we don't know the full extent to the, of the work that other people are doing, and also to um, wh- what's the word to to not um, to not allow someone else to use our busyness as an excuse. Hmm. So what I mean by that is. That thing of like, oh well, maybe I'll take this because I know you're you're busy right now. And while sometimes that's acutely true, often it's like I just perceive you being busier than me. But that might not necessarily mm-hmm. be true. Interesting. Interesting. And I feel like we Interesting. will then. I know I do this sometimes where I have to kind of proactively be like, no, no, no. I yes, I am busy. I'm always busy. <laughs> but like, no, no, no. Don't don't not give me work to do. Just because I'm busy, like this is still my responsibility and I still want to contribute to what we're doing here. And I think I've seen all of us do that too, of like, no, no, no. no. Sure. I will do stuff. I know I'm busy, but I will also do things rather than just kind of letting someone give you that pass and maybe mm. setting up a situation down the road that's going to lead to a lot of resentment and frustration. And so it shows up even outside of just that domestic taking care of a house and the kids type relationship. But it's that same dynamic of there's both sides need to keep that balance there. Yeah.
0: Well, what I'm curious about, because I think another factor that can show up in relationships is I think people can come from just different cultural attitudes toward work. So, of course, we can look at macro culture attitudes, right, of if you and your partner are from different countries, for instance, Mm -hmm. that have just very different work attitudes, right? You know, like, that's just very much a thing. And that can clash sometimes. But also, there's, of course, always the microculture of what was the work ethic in your family? Or Mm. what were the lessons you were taught about working? And I know that all three of us do tend to be aligned in this sort of like hyper functioning, overworking sort of little microculture we've built within our own little chosen family. and I'm assuming we must be bringing that in. I mean, American culture is not great about this. Like American culture is very pro hustle culture, right? Yeah. So I think that we carry that in. But then I believe with all three of us in our family backgrounds, there's some of that represented as well. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think i I think a lot of my wanting to work hard is like a thirst to prove myself in some way. Like, I've kind of tried to, yeah, I feel like I I need to make myself feel worthy of something of existing or whatever. And so I just try to work hard and do a lot of things because that will make me feel like I'm worthy of something. I think that's a lot of where my work ethic comes from. Mm -hmm. But yes, also, I was taught, you know, I lived with a single mother my whole life. So that was a lot of you got to just figure it out yourself and not rely on somebody else to do it for you kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I've heard of like a lot of people who are raised by single parents and then also children of immigrants mm-hmm. often share that in common kind yeah. of the sense of like, you just need to do it, right? Totally. Like you, you have to take care of yourself and you have to be able to support yourself and, and you just got to keep going back to that grind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I think there's also that question of what other lessons have you gotten along the way in terms of have you then seen this behavior in your parents where you go, I don't want to do that. And you you could swing the other way too, right? That thing of, you know, I saw my parents, you know, work so, so hard so that they could retire, but then just kind of haven't done anything with their lives. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I'm going to live life Mm. to the fullest, which then can sometimes swing the other way of like making not the most financially responsible decisions. Mm. Right, versus finding a middle ground there. So it's 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 interesting how that one can either make you be more like that culture or can make you swing hard the other way. I mean, I think we see that with all sorts of things like religion as well or just general attitudes Mm -hmm. like I'm going to swing really hard the other way or I'm going to follow that path because that's what was modeled for me and that's what I think is good and, and I liked that.
0: What about the difference of someone liking their work maybe being in a relationship with someone who dislikes their own work.
1: I honestly think this is one of the hardest ones. Mm. Oh, yeah? I think it's hard because it creates a divide where it's hard to even relate to each other. Yeah, yeah. And there can be a lot of envy and jealousy there. So, for example, if you're on the side of the person who really likes what you do, or even if you don't really, really like it, but you like your job, right? and you have a partner who really doesn't, it can be easy to feel like, well, why don't you work somewhere else where you do like it? Or why don't you do something else that you do like? And while that isn't necessarily wrong, it often isn't seeing the whole picture, right? Mm -hmm. And, And can then be frustrating for that other person to feel like, do you know what a big deal that is to try to change what I do or where I work or how hard that is or how scary that is or or those kinds of things. And then on the other side can be that just, that anger of like anytime I'm tired now I'm angry at you because you don't ever have to be tired like this because you like what you do or Mm -hmm. right that it Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that one it's like having more or less money I guess unless you just always grew up with money and you landed in a job where you've always had money but I feel like most of us have had at least some fluctuation in money in our lives so that one, we at least like okay I kind of get that but I feel like the liking what you do or not liking what you do can sometimes be just such a hard obstacle to get past to really mm. understand each other.
0: So the last one I put on this list was kind of having differences in like work ethic slash effort. It was it was hard for me to figure out what's the word mm. to put on it, but I know that sometimes it feels like a big confluence of these things that I've I've often found myself in conflict in prior relationships because I'm you know tend to be more on the workaholic side of things tend to be very motivated, very self-motivated, right? Um, you know, have often been either a gig worker or self-employed where it's like the success and my income is tied to my own effort, right? And then sometimes ending up in relationships with people where... Uh, I think like Emily was saying, where it's like, yeah, 9 to 5, and as soon as 5 o'clock hits, I'm checked out. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I chill. <laughs> I don't think about Crack anything beer, else. I don't have to hustle. A you a yeah, Whatever. just have a great time and that's it. And sometimes there's something about that combination that just like really pokes at like all, I think all of my stuff. So, so I don't know. I guess it was something about, um, I'm trying to figure out like something about those kind of differences. And maybe, maybe it's kind of a mix of a lot of the stuff we've already discussed.
2: Yeah. My, my partner is one that has said, I don't get personal fulfillment out of work. Like that's not a thing that, that he feels brings him joy as much, and it's not even about like liking or not the thing that you're doing, but just simply that wanting to succeed in a work environment is not something that brings him joy. And to me, it definitely is. Like, it Mm -hmm. definitely, I want, you know, the thing that I just got to do, which was be a vocalist at a theme park, that brought me a huge amount of joy and You know, whenever I get to do jobs like that, that's the coolest thing ever. But this podcast is like, you know, a close second. like that also is something that brings me joy and that I'm able to cultivate and work on and really mold and figure out like, how is it that I can continue to do this to the best of my ability? And so I think that's a big difference there. But even when I'm at a job that I don't particularly like, I still want to do it well. I mm-hmm. still want to be like. That's what the I was going to ask about. Is, at it. is yeah.
0: Even for like your restaurant job that 100%. you've had for so long, yeah. yeah.
2: I'm like, oh, I'm the best. Good, yeah. <laughs> and like, and I want to be like. I don't. I don't yeah. just want to half ass anything. I know a lot of people are like, oh, if you have like a a shitty, you know, job that is just a stepping stone, like, don't don't be that good at it. And I'm like, but I have to be. I want to be. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't really get that mentality, honestly, but it, it yeah. has led to conflict for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I remember I, after college, I was interviewing for a job once and they asked me something. The question was, uh, what motivates you at work? And I gave this like long speech about, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, doing good and like wanting people to look at that and go like, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's great. And, you know, how, how does he do that? Like, that's cool. I want to learn from him. I'm inspired by him. You know, like what gave us like a whole long thing. And then she was like, okay, I, I kind of meant like, you know, is it like uh, prizes or raises? Or, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> did you get the job? I did get the job. Uh, well, there what you go. Like, cool. Well, we don't even have to give prizes to this one. <laughs> uh, he'll just want it dream. for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason. Amazing. Hilarious. Uh, But uh, that, that is something, though, just to go back to this. And, and I think we've mentioned this a little bit on the show before, but this we've all heard the thing of, you know, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life that that whole thing. It not, 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 not true. It's not true.
2: It's symbolic. It's true. Even, even if you even love it, it, it's going to suck at times and it's right. going to be yeah. really difficult. It's not true. And maybe <laughs> so, if you
1: love it and you do it as a job, you won't love it anymore. Like there's all sorts of pieces that <laughs> exactly. go into that. Or maybe you do still love it, but you don't always love it.
2: Right? You're not going to always love it. Like it's, I didn't always yeah. love my last job. Right. It was, it, but most of the time it was awesome. Yeah. Right. I certainly don't always love
1: this. Yeah. But yeah, most sure. of the time it's great. Right. Right. But it is something that we love. Yes. Yeah. But this was something, and I wish I could remember where this was. I think it may have been on a podcast or it might have been in a book or something, but was talking about moving the focus from this idea that you find something you love and therefore you will one, enjoy doing it, and two, you'll get good at it because you like doing it. Mm -hmm. And instead proposing the opposite of saying, if you find something that you're able to become interested enough in to become mm. good at that then that feeling of joy and fulfillment comes from working hard to be good at something of like having enough yeah. interest oh, but, in it
0: but even that not everybody's like that too. right i know like i that's, think all three yeah. of us can relate to that because yeah. we're like yes we want to learn more about sure. communication and relationships yeah. and be better at podcasting and all <laughs> these things but that's also not everybody yeah. right that's no, a good
2: point yeah some people just i
1: yeah. Well, some uh, people on. get their fulfillment elsewhere. Exactly. That it's just the job gets me by and I'll save my energy for other things. And that's the I mean, question is, what are those other things?
2: No, I'm yeah. not. I'm not even I, I just it, to me. That's what I always question. Like, if you don't find fulfillment in your work, then what is it that you find fulfillment in? And And you should be finding that. And then doing right. that because we have we need to be fulfilled like in some way like what else is there but our relationships and our work I don't know whatever work whatever that work is maybe I'm totally
0: talking out of my ass but and maybe yeah maybe that's not just like about your job but no like, but your like, life's work
2: exactly mm-hmm. like you need like a project like a life's work like we've had people talk about the the projects that they do with their their significant other, but also, like, it's a life
1: project that you do with
2: yourself.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That's deep, Emily. I like yes. that.
1: Yeah. And I think to expand on that a little bit, you mentioned, you know, our work in our relationships. And I do think that that's something there, too. That for some people, it is yeah. it's like, no, I just do my job so that I can live but the focus of my life is on the people in my life and Mm -hmm. the relationships that I have and other people. It could be, I mean, if you think about someone who is um, a monk or a nun, for example, where it's, but that is a life work. Well, it is, or maybe it isn't right. Like if you say, Mm -hmm. my life's work is just kind of taking any food that's given to me and just sort of meditating a lot and occasionally answering people's questions. It's like, yeah, sure. It's not a Mm. a project or a life work in the same sense that we have of like, I want to accomplish something or make something of myself or, or put something in the world that it can also be more of that internal. Like, no, I just, I do want to have this experience of just being.
2: Yeah. But well, maybe, maybe I need to work on that. Well, (laughs) no, I mean,
1: I get you. I I struggle with it as well. And maybe that's something to look at with compatibility in relationships. Yeah. But I think there's also that question of, are you doing that and then are fulfilled or hmm. is someone doing that and then also not very happy in their life? Then, hmm. then there's some different questions there. Also same thing of like, I'm working really hard to build my law practice and I also don't like it. That's hmm. not great either. Right. So it's not saying just one or the other is necessarily bad, but I think that's an interesting question, Emily of like, what is that work even if it's not work, but is it something yeah. that does is meaningful to you? Even if you don't like it all the time, is it meaningful? It's not a question
2: for me. It's a question for
1: other people because
2: <laughs> I know the answer to mine. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay. Right. So we're going to go on and talk a little bit about workaholism. I know that we've we've been teasing it a bunch throughout this. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways you can support this show. If you enjoy this content and you enjoy getting this every week for free and this being out there in the world, it does really help us a lot. If you take a moment to listen to our advertisers. Check out our Patreon, things like that. That support really does directly help this show keep going.
3: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
0: And we are back and we're going to talk about what tends to get talked about the most and also researched the most. And that is workaholics and workaholics, workaholic behavior and their relationship. So we have to start out with some caveats, which is that any kind of behavior like this, it's still tricky To define behaviors as an addiction. So some examples that we've covered on the show before include things like sex addiction, porn addiction, video game addiction, where with a lot of these, the jury is still out around. Can we classify this as an addiction? Does it work the same way that a substance addiction does? Is there anything helpful in using the addiction label? Does the addiction label actually make it harder for people to get help with something that they're struggling with? So. Just to put that out there, that some of this is a gray area. There's also, as we will get into, a lot of differences and disagreement over even how quote unquote workaholism should even be defined in the first place, Hmm. right? Because we start to get into all these sticky questions about when is it good to be passionate about your work and really engaged with your work? Like, when is that healthy and when is it not healthy, right? And then also, I know some very clever person is going to reach out to be like, there's no such thing as workahol. Why call it workaholism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, you're very clever. We get it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much.
2: Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Why don't I get us started <laughs> here? Uh, so, Parker's very triggered. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: No, I'm not triggered. I'm just salty. Got it. I'm just salty. Yeah.
1: So to lay the groundwork here, we're going to start with a 2014 literature review of academic publications about work addiction. This is by Cecily Shu Andreason and was published in the Journal of Behavioral Addictions, and it's called Workaholism, colon, an overview and current status of the research. So first, the term workaholic was first coined in 1971 by Wayne E. Oates in his book, Confessions of a Workaholic. The fact about work addiction. The facts. Sorry, that's plural facts. There are multiple, multiple facts, facts in this book. Well,
0: more than one fact <laughs> about work addiction. single fact. Template.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of work addiction has changed over time, and people don't agree on it, as Dedeker was mentioning. Originally, in the 80s, some researchers just identified it specifically of working too much. So working more than 50 hours per week, for example. But then others later added things like one's attitude to work. So those who invest more time and energy in their work than what's required of them, which kind of goes back to some of the stuff we were just talking about before the break. So yeah, (laughs) Um, but identifying that as important distinctions between just working a lot and then what could be workaholism. Right. And and the current ways of thinking about it tend to be more on that side of it's not just how much, but it's also the mental you know, attitudes toward work that go along with it. So some things to look at is there was a 2011 study that estimated that approximately 10% of the US population may be workaholics. Other studies have estimated much higher numbers. So again, it varies a little bit, but it's significant enough that that's something that you could identify around you if you look around. Uh, but ultimately, it's difficult and almost impossible or probably is impossible to get concrete numbers because no one agrees on what it even is or how you should measure it or how to identify what counts as clinical workaholism since clinical workaholism doesn't exist, right? That's not right. something that's been okay. defined. <laughs> so just to wrap up what was in this particular review... There's no universal typology of work addiction. Some researchers have offered the distinction of being gratified by the job itself versus gratified by just the act of doing the job mm-hmm. is one distinction. Others have tried to differentiate between what they call engaged and non-engaged workaholics. So an engaged workaholic might be someone who works a lot, but also it's because they're so interested. Because they love what they're doing or they're really fascinated by it and want to be the best at it versus non-engaged workaholics who might be someone who doesn't like what they do and yet still does it all the time and feels like they always need to be working, even though they don't even like it, don't even find it that interesting.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that's such a that's interesting. It makes sense to make that distinction. I just never really thought about it that way. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and that neither of those has been specifically shown to be better or worse necessarily, but yeah, it is a distinction worth making. And then from that addiction perspective, you could look at workaholism as being, uh, in this example, quote, being overly concerned about work to be driven by an uncontrollable work motivation and to put so much energy and effort into work that it impairs private relationships, spare time activities, and or health. And I do think that one is worth noting that with a lot of disorders... With you know psychological disorders, part of the definition is that this is negatively affecting other areas of my life, and I have a problem with that. So rather than yeah. something that gets diagnosed externally, like you could look at with certain drug addictions, where it's like, I don't think I have a problem, but someone from the outside could say, No, chemically mm. there is an addiction. This is a problem here yeah. versus with a lot of behavioral kind of compulsion issues oftentimes part of the diagnosis, as it were, is that the person has a problem with it. It's like, I recognize this is bad and this is causing negative consequences, and yet I can't stop, right? I think that comes up a lot in these kind of behavioral compulsions like sex addiction or porn addiction or workaholism that sometimes it comes down to, do I think what I'm doing is a problem?
0: And I think, okay, if I'm going to just project my own personal experience onto Mm -hmm. this, I I feel like I, it's possible to encompass both of those, right? Because I do find myself as someone, I really enjoy the work that I do. I do feel really engaged with it. I do really want to be better at the work that I do and to do my best. And so to a certain extent, that fuels some of the fulfillment and satisfaction that I get out of my own work. And yet also sometimes I will get to the end of the day or I will get to a weekend or I'll get to some time that should be rest time. And keep sometimes going. we'll hit that, we'll hit that kind of almost out of control of like, I know it's not good for me to keep trying to respond to emails right now. I know this is supposed to be a relaxing time, but I feel like I, I have to, like I feel like mm. I can't relax. Yeah. You know, where and yeah. So, so that's interesting to kind of hold both of those that it's not necessarily a black and white. You have the positive work engagement versus you have the negative work addiction that I know in my own experience, sometimes it's sort of both comes up at different times. Well, turning it off in general is pretty hard for us. And it's funny because,
2: yeah, like I've been here in Osaka with you two for the last four days. And even when we weren't working, we were like going hard at other stuff. Like see, <laughs> sightseeing right. or doing other things. And I'm like, maybe that's just our personality, is just that we whatever we just do. Going hard. We just like do it hard. Yeah. As it were. You know? So uh-huh. mm-hmm.
0: multi-emory, we do it hard.
2: Yeah,
1: that's yeah. A good tagline. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. Like let, let us know what you think, everyone. Should we change our <laughs> tagline?
0: Like for the last
2: two and a half years, like I, I decided, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go start to work out more and I can't like even do that half ass. Like I I mm-hmm. work out I, mm-hmm. I'm like, well you have to work out every day. And if you don't like gosh Absolutely. do a bit yeah. yeah, if you don't yeah. like do a big workout, you have to go for a walk or like do something. Just do something that's pretty intense that gets you to your watch calories being where they mm-hmm. need to be. And yeah, my watch tells me it's been like seven hundred and fifty days or something of me doing that. So, wow. gosh, Emily. yeah, of like never. Get, that's
0: hard. Once they gamify it, I once know, you get the yeah. combo, yeah. you don't want to break the combo. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: the problem. So, anyways, it, it, I think yeah, that that going hard on on a lot of things in life is just an, an interesting distinction too. It's like how do you mm. how do you turn that off? Yeah, yeah. So we have another study here. This is a 2014 study by Akihito Shimazu, Kamika Kamiyama, and Norito Kawakami. Sorry, Dedeker and all of you Japanese people out there. It was entitled Workaholism versus Work Engagement, colon, The Two Different Predictors of Future Wellbeing and Performance. And it was published in the International Journal of Behavioral Medicine. And essentially, the researchers were seeking to make a more distinctive definition between workaholism and work engagement. And it says, and I quote, workaholics are propelled by an obsessive inner drive they cannot resist. Yeah. Uh, Whereas engaged (laughs) employees are intrinsically motivated. Interesting. Put differently, workaholism is characterized by... High effort with negative effect, whereas work engagement is characterized by high effort with positive effect. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a nice distinction there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. There's something. Oh, okay. There's something good here. get yeah. Onto something there.
2: <laughs> so they surveyed 1,196 employees at an inner industrial machinery company in Tokyo. Measuring workaholic characteristics as well as work engagement characteristics in addition to questions about things like fatigue and anxiety and depression, their physical health, their overall job satisfaction, and then also their satisfaction with their family, and their ability to adequately complete assigned tasks and the production of novel and useful ideas. And what they found was that although workaholism and work engagement are positively and weakly related to each other, that they are two different, non-overlapping concepts. So essentially, workaholism was significantly related to an increase in things like ill health and a decrease in life satisfaction between two surveys that these people took. However, workaholism was not significantly related to a decrease in job performance. So that's so interesting. They still did really good at their job, but they were mm. just like unsatisfied in other areas of not their life. About and it. Less healthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, and less yeah. healthy. And then work engagement was significantly related to a decrease in ill health and an increase in both likes life satisfaction and job performance. Again, after controlling for baseline levels of performance. So. You kind of see where that's at, and if you're just engaged in your work, then yeah, your life is better. You're happier. Things like that. You're less mm-hmm. ill. Yeah. Fascinating. But that's
0: interesting. The the part where the workaholics didn't suffer from decreased job performance. To me, that stands out as like, oh, okay, so that means that there is baked into the system, though, something that I think motivates and rewards workaholic behavior still Mm. right the idea that you're still getting stuff done and maybe that's even being rewarded or considered as like good job performance right even if it's negatively affecting yes you're still a good employee even if it's negatively affecting you which yeah it's just
2: baked into the whole system no they want yeah they don't care (laughs) just be a good employee and doesn't you know your life can fall apart but it doesn't matter
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that the study was done in Tokyo and, yeah. you know, Japan notorious. is notorious, notorious for a very pro workaholic culture that really yeah. encouraging long hours, that, that long hours are kind of a base level sign of you're doing a good enough job, not even yeah. you're an overachiever, but just you're doing enough. And so to go back to what we talked about way back at the beginning about cultural differences too, that we've talked about this, I think in past episodes, just in passing, but Studies comparing different cultures too, that a behavior that in one culture might be considered normal in yeah. another culture would be considered extreme workaholism. And then on the other hand, what would be considered a normal, healthy work life balance in another culture might be considered being lazy and slacking off. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. to us Americans, the idea of, of getting a month or two months off every year to just go wherever and do it just like, well, how do you get anything done? No wonder your countries are less powerful. I don't know. Why. Or having okay, like, no. yeah, a
2: siesta in the middle of the day. But like, right, right, yeah,
1: right. when, you know, going to Italy or France
2: or whatever and having people just like be a little bit more leisurely, it's nice. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. It does, yeah, feel very different. And yeah. mm-hmm. in America, you're like, what are we doing? Why Why aren't we allowing ourselves this right. luxury of time?
1: Yeah, Right. Uh, I mean, a good one to look at there is when you... Just have time to hang out with your friends how Mm. much do you feel this drive to be like but what are we doing versus Mm -hmm. just spending time that's
0: interesting Interesting. i've noticed that's
1: something i've gone back and forth through my life of how much i feel that compulsion to like but what's the thing we're doing versus oh yeah we're just getting together and you know see what you know we'll do something maybe if we want but that's not the point yeah just wanted to throw out there for people to think about
2: i like that yeah
0: So let's look at how this behavior tends to affect people's relationships. So we have this 2021 study by Melissa Clark, Emily Hunter, and Don Carlson called Hidden Costs of Anticipated Workload for Individuals and Partners, Exploring the Role of Daily Fluctuations in Workaholism. This was published in the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology. Now, this is a really interesting study, and there are a couple gems that I pulled from this. Basically, they were trying to analyze the relationship between the fluctuation of daily stressors or demands at one's job, as well as the fluctuations of workaholism, which they defined, again, as maladaptive and compulsive feelings, thoughts, and behaviors toward one's work. Now, what's interesting about this is that the authors don't see workaholism as just a fixed state, but the idea that it can fluctuate and intensify or de-intensify according Hmm. to what's going on in your work conditions, right? Yeah, and so they were trying to track these fluctuations daily over a relatively short period of time, just over a period of 10 days. And what's also unique about this is that the authors differentiate workaholism for work addiction, actually. Like, Hmm. they define workaholism as more like a personality trait rather than an addiction, which is fascinating. Yes.
2: I think that's how we kind of see it in a lot of ways. Like, oh, he's just a workaholic.
1: Sure. Yeah. Like a personality trait than a specific disorder or something. Yeah, Sure. Mm -hmm.
0: And they're also, they also identified these, these two issues and, I really like they made this distinction. So they refer to them as spillover and crossover. And spillover is what happens, you know, when the impacts of one domain of life impacts another. So for instance, like I'm stressed at work. And so that impacts my life outside of work. And then crossover is when the stresses and strain of one area of life begin to negatively impact someone who is close to you, Mm. like a partner. And that, that then can result back in greater stress for you as well. And that I thought was really interesting for them to, to huh. make a distinction about. So the idea that like my work takes up all my time, that really stresses my partner out. My partner is really wanting more time with me. And now I'm stressed out even more because my partner is also making demands of me Mom. and really wanting me to, you know, it's, it's almost like kind of this, I don't know, another spiral on the loop <laughs> of, Kind of trading stress back and forth. Also which I thought was really fascinating, just
1: immediately made me think of relationships to metamors and multiple partners. Yes, too, mm. yes, you could make yes. that same distinction of spillover and exactly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's people so different where.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it's so different where it's like, oh my, my partner over here is having a really hard time. I need to take care of them, and that's really depleting me. And so that means I have like less energy for my other partner over here, and like that sucks. But young. the crossover version is, oh, I have to take care of my this partner A over here while they're having a hard time. That's depleting my resources. Yeah, partner B is really upset that I have depleted resources and don't have as much time to give them. And then they're starting to make demands on me, which is now stressing me out yeah. doubly so. Which That's And it's just the Hinge thing. episode all over again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. So... What they actually did for this study is um, it was a somewhat smallish sample. It was a sample of 121 employees that were in committed relationships and also who kept somewhat traditional working hours, you know, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The average length of the relationships was 10.7 years. Mm. So, you know, relatively long time frame. And the participants would fill out this sort of daily diary survey twice a day. So in the morning... The survey would ask questions about their anticipated workload for that day. So for instance, you know, you know, on a scale of, of disagree to agree today, my job will require working very fast, for instance. And then they would give them a survey in the evening as well that would ask about kind of the, the fluctuations in their workaholism, you know, the compulsive thoughts, behaviors, feelings, and also their fatigue. So questions like, you know, today I often found myself thinking about work, even when I was home, or asking them, how mentally tired do you feel today? Mm-hmm. And then they also sent surveys to their spouses. Okay. In That's the where we evening. get oh. crossover.
1: Okay. Yes, the crossover. Yes. Yeah. Asking over. them questions yeah.
0: about, yeah, about like, yeah, is there stress crossover? Is there relationship tension? So asking the spouses questions like, you know, on a scale of agree to disagree, today I feel irritated or resentful about things my spouse or partner did or didn't do. Or today, I felt my partner brought work home with them in a way that negatively impacted our family. And so what they found, first of all, was that perceptions of an anticipated workload each morning did correlate with higher reports of those compulsive feelings, thoughts, behaviors towards one work, one's work, as well as higher experiences of evening fatigue. Hmm. And ever since I read that, that's been bouncing around in the back of my brain because I feel like this happens to me all the time, that... If I'm heading into a work day, feeling really keyed up, as it were, about, huh. Oh my God, like, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I have so much on my plate. There's so much I have to juggle. My to-do list is so long. And I think it makes sense. There would be a correlation with having difficulty switching off. Like, mm. I think, especially if you're rocketed into anxiety brain about your work, that is like, even when you get to the end of the day, it's still there. It doesn't just switch off in a really easy way. And I think probably as. We could predict they found that daily fluctuations in workaholisms would cross over to negative spousal outcomes through kind of multiple mechanisms. So, you know, the partner has increased fatigue in the evening and then there's greater spousal perceptions of stress crossover. You know, partners are more frustrated that their partner that came home from work isn't fully present and is still concerned with work. So that was a lot to just explain that yes. It affects your relationships. (laughs) Yeah,
2: It's cool that they did a study on that at all, because, yeah, it's important and not just, like, does this thing exist, but rather, like, it clearly does, and how is it affecting people around you?
1: I like that they also looked at the way it fluctuates and looking at it more as a personality trait that could vary over time, because, at least for me, it makes me hopeful that I have some influence over this, that it's not just, Ooh. I have this problem and it's just always a problem. Oh well. Versus, okay, huh. So yeah, maybe I have this drive. I have this trait, but I might be able to have some control over, you know, how much do I let myself get worried about how much I have to do that day? Because that might actually make me then more tired. And probably Mm. less able to keep doing that amount of work versus finding ways to, you know, whether it's through different kinds of to-do lists or scheduling things for the future, like with a bullet journal or, you know, something to kind of take some of that anxiety off of it. Some of that, oh, gosh, I've got so much coming up, so much coming up. And this came up just yesterday when the three of us uh, went to Universal Studios as a, a fun little you family trip. You may have seen trip. the Instagram posts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, you know, if you've been to a theme park as an adult, you got really tired. Part work at them, but really
2: like going yeah. to them is, yeah, yeah, more tiring than
1: working at them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, so we're hitting that part of the day where we're getting really tired. And I was also starting to feel stressed about how much work I had coming up this week. And the mm. fact that we're recording a bunch of episodes today and stuff like that. And, Dedeker told me about this study and was like, hey, you know what? Be in the moment, because if you're thinking about it, you're actually just going to make yourself more tired. And I was like, huh, mm. all right, all right. So then through that day, I kept being like, if I started thinking that, going, nope, okay, I'm just going to try to focus on right now. I was still tired, but it did maybe help a little bit with not being as bad off as I could have been. So now we're going to move into some things about you know, how we can look at how this affects our lives and also how we can potentially improve our lives as well as some things to look out for. So we wanted to quickly acknowledge this book called Chained to the Desk, a guidebook for workaholics, their partners and children, and the clinicians who treat them. And this is by Brian Robinson, came out in 2014. So a couple of the things that he mentions in this book, one is that a common dynamic between workaholics and their spouses or partners is being trapped in this circular pursuer, it's distancer dynamic. And we've called this pursuit withdrawal before. Uh, But the idea is that the workaholic wants distance because they feel like they need to focus on their work and their thoughts are constantly drawn to that. And their partner wants emotional closeness. So the one wanting closeness will then pursue them and they'll pull away farther, which makes the pursuer pursue more. And that can get into that cycle. It's very similar to the crossover thing that we were talking about, where it can then Mm -hmm. kind of make the problem worse. Uh, if if you're unaware of it and not able to address it. And then he also points out, as we're all aware, as we've talked about a few times now, that work addiction is what he calls a pretty addiction. And by that, he just means that our capitalist and competitive society can often mask the unhealthiness of work addiction by praising people for having such a good work ethic. And that this is especially problematic if the person who is the workaholic is also the one providing financially for the spouse, which then the spouse who is worried about this or complains about this can then be vilified as being yeah. ungrateful for how hard they're working to bring in, if not all the money, at least more of the money for the household. Yeah.
2: We wanted to point out something that our researcher, Kiana, said about non-monogamy and being really intensely workaholic or into working as much as maybe the three of us are Uh into working. We're super into it. Yeah. But uh, she said that it may be worth noting from a non-monogamous perspective that the discrepancy in work across partners can have positive impacts. And she said that this has been a feature of my polyamory journey because my husband slash former nesting partner works a lot. So I never felt the guilt of forming other relationships that some people describe Initially, because I never felt like I was abandoning him or spending less time with him. Hmm. Also, because I traveled a lot for grad school, it felt like our professional lives were already our other partners, like profession equals other partner, right before we ever even opened up. So there's some transferable skills there around time management, not centering your partner or cultivating your own sense of self and independence, etc. I really like that, and... I love this idea that instead of needing to make like one single thing, the fat, you know, the only facet of your life, the only thing that matters that like a lot of things, a lot of people and a lot of your work can be a part of that. Like that's just an additional facet of the thing that makes you the whole person that you are.
0: Well, it reminds me, Jace, I think you shared this with me. Hopefully I'm remembering this story correctly about how One time when I was at your mom's house and I had to, I had like a Zoom date with another Mm. partner scheduled. And so I was like, all right, we'll see you. I'm going to go hang out, you know, on my Zoom date with this other partner that your mom, what was it she asked? She told you, she's like, I don't know if I could share my partner like that. Just to give the caveat, Jason's mom is totally great in in support of our relationship. You know, it wasn't like an accusatory thing. It it was
1: more of just a, you know, like, how how are you feeling? Like, you okay? I feel like I'd have a hard time, like, Like, having her go away and... Yeah, my answer was, no, I love it.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, but but didn't you, I don't remember if you made this argument to her or if you just told me about the thoughts you had about it later, but kind of making that argument of like, well, but even in a monogamous relationship, you still kind of, quote unquote, share your partner and share your partner's time, like, with their job, Mm -hmm. right? And that's,
2: yeah, but also if your partner is at home a lot or works from home, the opportunity to get to, like, go away from them and do something else is really nice, (laughs) let me tell you. Like,
0: yeah, it's great. (laughs) We can all
2: tell you. Yes, exactly. No, it's just great to have the opportunity for that. So I think, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's challenging and this is difficult, but if you can frame it maybe differently in what your mind about, I get the opportunity to have time to myself or have time to cultivate the other things in my life that I really care about. Like, I don't know, I get to read or I get to play this video game or I get to learn a language or something along those lines. Like, that's great. And it's not just, oh, my partner doesn't love me enough and is gone all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. My relationship to having time away from a partner is so completely different now than it used to be, you know, years ago. Likewise. And I I think that it's much healthier now where it's that kind of, I get to enjoy both. Like, I enjoy Mm -hmm. the coming back together and I also enjoy the, wow, this is great. I don't have to worry about what you think, or or what you want to do. (laughs) I just get to do my own thing because you're off doing whatever else. I love that. All right. So let's bring this all together of, you know, what can we do about all of these things, about whether we're worried about workaholism, work addiction type behaviors, or just discrepancies in our lives. So to start out, just there is no documented treatment for workaholism, partly because it's not really a diagnosable thing right now. Though, when it comes to behavioral addictions or behavioral compulsions, you could also think of it. Cognitive behavioral therapy is the one that has the most evidence showing that it is effective for treating those types of problems. So that's definitely something to look into, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Another one is self-reflection. We're big fans of just being aware, you know, know thyself, as it were. And some questions to ask yourself is, Does this behavior seem like work engagement and passion Mm. for what I do, which, as we saw in that Tokyo study, still has you work a lot, but has more positive effects on your health and your well-being? Or does this feel like a compulsion, or is this driven by fear or a need to prove myself that's not intrinsically rewarding, but feels more external, in which case that could be more of that work addiction type behavior, and that could have more negative effects for you. And all of this is great to talk to a therapist or potentially a trusted friend or someone to also help get some external opinions. Now, be aware that everyone's going to come in with their own biases about how much they work. You know, the fact that my therapist, I see that his appointments are available from like 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. or whatever. I'm like, okay, well. (laughs) If I talk to you that, you know, I'm going to have to realize you're coming from a certain place. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, just something to be aware of there that that maybe find a few people to talk about it, or at least be honest about how it affects you. Not just is this or not, but how's it affecting your life? What's the actual impact of this?
0: Yeah, I will say actually that has been something that's been super helpful with my own therapist is identifying because I do feel like I I encompass kind of both of those sometimes is identifying where is it this really nice, positive, life-fulfilling work engagement and when is it just getting into a compulsion and it's Mm. addictive, right? And my therapist has helped me come up with a lot of tools and tricks and different ways to think about it to help me be able to switch off or to notice the moments when it's switched into just negative effects Mm. rather than something that's fulfilling and enjoyable. So would highly recommend that for sure. And then We wrote out a number of discussion prompts slash questions to ask and to share along with a partner. And I think that these are all pretty broad, open-ended questions that can be really helpful in general for everybody. But also if just there are differences and discrepancies in your relationship around all the things we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, time flexibility, access to vacation, discrepancies around who picks up more domestic labor, whose work it's considered more real or not, who likes their work, who dislikes their work. So some questions that y'all can chew on together are things like just asking each other, how do you feel about your work? What does your work mean to you? How would you spend your time if money were no object and you didn't have to work? Mm. And maybe somewhat related to that is, how do you imagine your work changing in the future? And that's not just covering predictions, things like, oh, I think next quarter it's going to be busier or whatever, you know, things like that. It also covers like your dreams and wishes for how you want your work to change in the future. And I think that if you're finding yourself stuck in one of these areas with these discrepancies, you know, something that you can do some self-reflection on, some journaling on, and then also potentially discuss with your partner is examining What are you longing for from your partner here? So if we take maybe just the easy example of, I feel like my partner's a workaholic and I'm not. I feel like they work way too much or too many long hours and I don't, you know, really look at what it is that you're longing for, right? Is it I'm longing for downtime together? I'm longing for couch time together or I'm longing for some kind of flexibility to do spontaneous plans together, right? Like get to the heart of what it is that's really deep Down And that can help to kind of spur some creativity about how we can actually meet that, right? And then you can also ask yourself, what does your partner's behavior mean to you? I think this is one that I've I've used a lot in past relationships of really having to dive down into, okay, so if I'm the the hyper-functioning perfectionistic overworker and my partner is not, like, What's the story that I'm telling myself about their behavior and what that means about them and what that means about me? And that's just some really interesting data at the very least. Again, this could also be good fodder to share with a therapist. And I think another nice way to maybe even wrap up this conversation is to spend time with your partner where each of you share with each other what you feel like the other person contributes to the relationship, not just Mm. in their paid work, but also their unpaid work as well. And I like this because I think this can encompass a wide variety of relationships, not just the really traditional monogamous cohabiting couple, right? That maybe you never choose to entangle finances with your partner. Maybe you never financially support each other. Maybe you don't have any kind of work or or money related projects together, but you're both contributing to the relationship in some way. You're both working in some way. And so being able to take inventory and take stock of what that is, I think can be really nice.
2: When you're talking about your work or your partner's work, really try not to minimize the stress that they're having and the stress that you see might be affecting them in a variety of ways. And we, I think, have done this
0: from time to time. We've fucked that up. Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. The three of us with our partners. Yes, all the time. And and we do sometimes
2: fall into this like, well, what I'm doing is more stressful than what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing. And that's definitely not ideal. Please try not to do that because that's really hard to hear. And honestly, you know, even if something seems like it's easier to you, it's not necessarily easier to them. And they may be going through a lot right now as well. And also just be willing to have real conversations about how each of your differing work situations and income situations impact your lives and your relationships. So go back to the beginning of this episode when we talked about all of those different things that kind of can influence what a person feels like within their work and their work-life balance. And if you are somebody who is a gig worker versus somebody who has a 9 to 5, that is going to add additional stressors to your life, potentially. And so don't be afraid to talk about those things with your partner. Just different Yeah, different from Mm -hmm. one another. And so discuss maybe ways to figure that out and make that not be such an issue to the two of you.
1: I do want to emphasize the power of finding ways to work together towards something Mm -hmm. while also acknowledging each other's circumstances. And it's not like, let's work together for you to work less necessarily or for you to work more or for you to change your job or whatever that's kind of like I'm going to come along and solve your problem which I don't think is always it's usually not as helpful as you think it's going to be from my own experience as well as so many people that I've watched go through that but being able to act as a team with your partner and this is you know, doing something like a regular check-in like Radar can be really helpful for that. But this is actually an issue that Dedeker and I have gotten a lot better at recently in the last six months or so. Because I started a new job a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and ended up with a lot less flexibility in terms of Mm. travel and vacations and working hours and things like that. And it was a choice that I knew going in, But it did lead to some conflict and some challenges for us where, you know, Dedeker would feel frustrated that I wasn't, you know, willing to take time off of work. And then I would feel frustrated that I felt like something that's just not possible was being demanded of me and that led to some conflict. And for us, it was, I think, the turning point, and I'm curious if you agree, Dedeker, was when we had that conversation about let's just sit down and kind of identify these are the facts, you know, this is the circumstance, Mm -hmm. this is how much time I can expect to get off and here, these are the things that are going to limit that. But then here are the advantages I do have in terms of flexibility and things like that. Like these are the areas that are flexible and these are the ones that are not. And then Mm -hmm. let's talk about moving forward when we're trying to make plans or figure things out, that then it's us together trying to figure out, okay, how do we work within that? Versus this is kind of all my domain and you can then just be frustrated at me rather than maybe both of us going, gosh, yeah, we'd like to make that work. How can we? And I think that for me was a big, big change and has felt a lot better when we've had those conversations.
0: Yeah. And I think, gosh, we we repeat ourselves on this podcast all the time. Uh-huh. It is, it is that theme of just when we, I think we swap from a, it's a you versus me mm-hmm. into a, it's us versus the problem. And I didn't even feel like it was us versus a problem. But for me, it was really important to know that we're united in understanding what's important Yeah, together. Mm-hmm. You know, what's important as far as the right ratio of work time to free time to vacation time to date time and, and things mm-hmm. like that. That, that helped, yeah, to have a sense of, yeah, we were both coming from very different work circumstances, but we're both kind of trying our best, bearing in mind, again, those flexible and inflexible areas to at least be united in our pursuit of a common a common goal, if you will. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that helped. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I love that.
0: Yay. Okay, folks. So we're going to be throwing up a question on our Instagram stories this week. We want to hear from you. How has your work life affected your relationship? Super curious to hear. So in addition, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server. You can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. This episode was researched by Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.